Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for 20-plus years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. In fact, most of our listeners know who Sharon is. Our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs. And Sharon, today we're going to be talking about IFNA. What is IFNA? Well... We'll let our guests tell what IFNA is. So well, I mean, tell I, who our guests are. Come on now. Oh, well, I, well, I was going to explain what IFNA is. Oh, they will, we'll let Okay, you don't do want it. me to do it. No. Okay, all right. So our guests today are Sandy Ouellette, who is a former president of the ANA and IFNA, and Jackie Rolls, who's also a former president of the ANA, and she's the current president of IFNA. And now you're going to get educated, Jeremy. Again, you know, this is like drinking from a uh, fire hydrant, always, <laughs> especially when I've got such greatness surrounding me all the time. There you go. There you go. All right, so Sandy, you want to start us off and kind of tell us a little bit about some of the events that led to the, the formation of IFNA, and why don't you tell us what IFNA is, because I, I think I know, but maybe most of our listeners do. Okay. Well, thank you for having uh, both of us here because I think this is an area that's really dear to my heart, and I believe it is for Jackie as well. But IFNA is the uh, International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists. And so in terms of how it started, in 1978, two European nurse anesthetists, Hermie Lohnard from Switzerland and Hans Fransen from Norway, attended the AANA annual meeting in Detroit. The late Ronald Kalk was ANA president at that time. And you have to understand that we did not know there was a global international community of nurse anesthetists in 1978. We had been told that the United States was the only civilized country in the world that allowed nurses to administer anesthesia. Hmm. So when Hermie showed up in Detroit along with Hans Fransen, we knew there were at least two other countries, Switzerland mm-hmm. and Norway. So how did Hermie learn about us? He was the only nurse anesthetist, so therefore he was a chief nurse anesthetist, in a small hospital in Switzerland. It had a hundred beds. And he worked directly with the surgeons And one of the surgeons had been trained in the United States, and he told them about 
the American Association of Nursinestas. So Hermie was able to find one of our journals in the medical library in Bern, and he became very interested, and he wanted to travel to the United States. However, he was a young father with several children. He did not have the money to make the trip, and so it was the surgeons that he worked for that financed his trip to the United States. He became very interested because to hear Hermie, he said, I was understanding that you were developing a point system for continuing education. Well, back then, remember, Mm -hmm. in 1978, it's when the ANA was voting for mandatory recertification, Mm -hmm. which the members did vote for. And Hermie was the new president of the newly formed Swiss Association of Nurse Anesthes. So he was very, very interested in seeing what we were doing. So he came and he met a number of nurse anesthetists. Uh, Ronald Kalk assigned him to Louis McCoy, who was his personal guide throughout this whole meeting. He met John Gard, of course, and he was just enamored with what he saw with the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists. And so conversations began, and it was decided that the Swiss Association of Nurse Anesthetists and the AINA would co-sponsor a symposium. And so in 1985, the first symposium for nurse anesthetists was held in Lucerne, Switzerland. There were 250 nurse anesthetists from 11 countries that attended that particular symposium. And Hermie will say financially it was a flop, but professionally it was a real win because of the interactions and the networking. And remember, very few people spoke at that time a language other than their native language. Mm. And so it was hard to communicate. But one thing I learned at that meeting, you can put a group of nurse anesthetists in a big room with a band, a bowl of popcorn, and some beer, and we all can communicate. We have a good time. We dance. <laughs> we have a great time. Language, right? And so, <laughs> so it was just great fun. So that was in 1985. I was on the ANA board at that time and attended that first meeting. And uh, so it was decided by a planning group. I think they called themselves at that time a Congress planning committee to organize a second gathering. And so the second symposium for Narcissus was held in uh, Amsterdam, the Netherlands, in 1988. And at that meeting, we almost doubled our attendance. We had 511 nurse anesthetists from around the world representing 16 countries. So we'd gone from 11 to 16 countries. And so it was at that meeting in the next year or so that conversations began about formation of an international organization. Now, listening to some of uh, what Ron Kalk had to say at the time, Nobody really knew what an international organization was, how it would be formed, what we needed to do, and so on. But the seed was planted. It was a dream. It was a vision that the global community of nurse anesthetists would become one through the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists. So let the organization begin. And so a committee representing people from Switzerland, Ron Kalk and John Gard from the U.S., there was a representative from uh, France as well as Germany, they began to talk about what would our goals be? 
what would our objectives be? And of course, you can't have an organization without a constitution known as bylaws. So they began to work through some of these things. And it was decided that it would be a federation. And what that means is it would be a group of countries. And so if you are a member of a country association, such as the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists or the Swiss Association of Nurse Anesthetists, you're all automatically a member of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists because it's a representative body of countries. Each country has one voice, one vote at the board, and that board is called the CNR, the Council of National Representatives. And so it was sort of structured that way. It was also structured to be housed in Switzerland. And the reason for that is, is because of the political neutrality of Switzerland and because so many other international organizations that we would have been interested in were also housed in Switzerland. So that was in the late 1980s up until 1989. By now, I was ANA president in 1989, and there were still some gaps that we didn't know exactly what to do. That would be Ron, John, and so on. So my board of directors voted to send Ron Kalk and myself, and my husband went with me, and uh, Ron's wife, Susan, went with us on a trip that really took us around the world. We went from the United States to Seoul, Korea. And the reason we went to Seoul, Korea, is because they were having the 19th Congress of the International Council of Nurses in Seoul, Korea. They were also a federation, and they were much older than us. And we knew that if we got to know some of these people, we could learn some things that would make our organization stronger. So for that trip to Seoul, I had never been to a country where I couldn't at least guess what a word was. Mm -hmm. Totally lost (laughs) in Korea. So when we got to Korea, we met a Maranol nun. Her name is Sister Margaret Comer. I had not known her before, and I found out that she was a nun, but she was also a nurse anesthetist. And she was sent to Korea years before. And she was instrumental in starting the Korean Association of Nurse Anesthetists, Sister Margaret. She took us under her wing, and our very survival in Seoul, Korea, was 100% dependent (laughs) on Sister Margaret Comer. So when we got there, she wanted us to speak at the Korean Association of Nurse Anesthetists meeting. Well, that was in 1989, and there were no interpreters. And I said, well, you know, sister, I'd do anything you wanted me to do, but my and Ron's Korean is not very good. (laughs) And she said, oh, we'll take care of that. Don't worry. She wanted us to talk about principles of neurosurgical anesthesia to the nurse anesthetists that were gathered there. And uh, so we did. And The way we did that was I would say a few words or a paragraph, and then she would interpret in Korean. How long uh, did that take? It it took my 60-minute lecture was 30 minutes all of a Uh, sudden, and I had to talk slow so she could interpret. You know, that's not real easy for me to do either. But at any rate, (laughs) we did that. So after I met Sister Margaret, at that time, the major awards for the ANA the decision was made in June before the August meeting. And uh, so I said, I don't know 
what candidates are going to be on this agenda. But I believe that Sister Margaret Comer deserves the Agatha Hodgins Award in 1989, and I had the pleasure of presenting that to her. And so at the ICN meeting, we also met the late and the great Dr. Greta Stiles. She was a a real icon in nursing. She was also on the board of ICN, and Greta not only helped us at this meeting, but also was um, a consultant to us as we move forward. So, in terms of the beginning, we left Seoul, Korea, and uh, we flew to Teufen, Switzerland. And it was a very small house where we all stayed, and we all had a little breakfast in the morning, and the hospital was right across the street. And we met in the attic of this small hospital, and there, on June 10th, 1989, representatives from 11 countries signed the charter for the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists. It was very, very interesting because they had a bomb shelter in this house where we stayed, and the owner had converted it into a wine cellar. And he was excited about this, just like (laughs) we were. And he said, I'm going to open my wine cellar. Little did he know what he was doing he for a group anything. of nurse anesthetists from 11 left. countries. And, of course, Miss Bollinet from France happened to select his most expensive bottle of wine that he did not intend for us to have, which we consumed immediately along with some others. And there was dancing, and there was dinner, and there was great celebration when we formed the International Federation that will be 30 years old um, wow. this coming June, June wow. 10th of this year wow that is a lot sandy i tell you and i didn't say that in the beginning and i should have june 10th 2019 is the 30th anniversary of ifna so you know we've been talking about specific barriers what do i remember about specific barriers the representatives from these 11 countries all spoke different languages so english was not as prevalent as it is today with our country representatives. Now, fortunately, Hermie Lonard, which is known as the founder Mm -hmm. of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists, spoke at least three, maybe four languages. And so our little meetings were like beehives. You'd hear all this whispering because he was interpreted and we were trying to understand each other. The thing that I really remember, we didn't trust each other very much either. We were all protective of our own turf. We were thinking locally rather than globally. And, you know, it was our way or the highway. And all of us saw it that way. And we couldn't see beyond our own little world. And so that was a little difficult. And sometimes it would be very heated debates. And Hermie seemed to know just the right time when we needed a break. And let's all go for a break. Let's take a walk. So what were y'all discussing that would get heated, for instance? Oh, it would be bylaws, for example. Things like membership. You know, we assumed that in all these countries, all the members' countries use just nurse anesthetists. That's not true. And at one of these meetings, in the middle of it, representatives from the Netherlands got up and stormed out of the meeting. The reason is because a third or about 30% of their nurse anesthetists at that time were not nurses. You know, they were not physicians, but they weren't nurses. And so the bylaws, they couldn't be members that way. 
And so the bylaws had to be rewritten that at least 50% mm-hmm. of your members have to be nurses. And if not, you can still be an associate member, but not a full member. And Jackie will probably talk about that. The other thing is we had absolutely no staff, absolutely no one to do any of the work except us. And remember, there was not an electronic age. The best we had was a Xerox machine and a landline telephone in 1989. That may have been good, you know, right. I don't know. Uh, it's better than social media. Maybe with social media it would have never happened. But the dream through all of that was globalization of the nurse anesthesia community. And so um, officers were elected at this first meeting in that little attic and we all signed the charter and we had all our country flags there we also had a bottle of champagne and glasses that we could toast each other when the charter was signed but Hermie Leonard was elected the first president of IFNA Ronald Kalk was the first vice president the treasurer was Sven Olison. Sven unfortunately passed away at a very young age from pancreatic cancer he was from Norway and the secretary was Hannah Bridges' daughter from Iceland. And everybody thought Hannah was the cutest thing. All the guys just really liked Hannah. I had so fortunate to see Hannah again at the 13th World Congress in Budapest just last June. I have some wonderful pictures taken of the two of us. We both look different. She still looks good. I'm not going to comment on myself. But anyway, it was so good to see this woman after all these years. And so we had the membership debate. The other thing was finances. And, you know, there's two ways that IFNA can make money to sustain itself. Any benefit you might get or uh, profit from a World Congress, and sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. Mm-hmm. The first symposium was a terrible financial loss for the two countries that sponsored it. But then the other thing is country dues. And we set the dues structure at a half a Swiss franc per member per country. So obviously, right now, the ANA has the most members at, I don't know what it is, 40-plus thousand active members. And um, so the ANA pays dues for each of these members. Hmm. Later on, we increased it to one Swiss franc per member per country. That was not enough in order for us to reach out externally But at the time, we didn't really need to because we were working for those first few years to solidify our internal base. And then in 2004, the current dues structure was changed to three Swiss francs per member per country for developed countries. Middle-income countries was 1.25 Swiss francs per country, and developing countries was 0.75 per country, and that has been the same since then. So um, in the early years, and I'm looking forward to hearing from Jackie, our current president, but in the early years, uh, we uh, had the Symposium Planning Committee, which is now the Congress Planning Committee. Over that time, there has been 13 World Congresses that have been planned, with the most recent being in Budapest last year in uh, 2018. The committees that were established in the early years was education and a separate practice committee. A few years after that, in 1992, 
the two committees combined, and it was combined for financial purposes, and I was asked to chair that. And uh, this committee, over the next number of years, developed educational standards, followed by practice standards, followed by a code of ethics, and then monitoring guidelines that became monitoring standards. And that was a real feat because at that particular time, according to representatives of the World Health Organization, there was not a comparable group that had developed these international standards. And so that was very important. And um, we did have some interaction with WHO, the World Health Organization. We would meet with their chief nurse scientists at least once a year. Of course, we maintain very close contact in those formative years with ICN, the International Council of Nurses, and particularly their executive director, Judith Alton, who was wonderful to us. Uh, We had an association with the International Hospital Association, and we tried as best we could to interact with the WFSA, the World Federation Society of Anesthesiologists, but in spite of our efforts, we didn't get too far with that. And uh, so anyway, I chaired that committee, both education and practice, until 2004, and that was the year I became president of the IFNA. I served as president from 2004 to 2010, and probably in 2010, we did one of the greatest things that we were able to do, and that is quality assurance in international education. And that plan was developed by Betty Horton. I really need to give her a real shout-out. Again, it's one of the most unique programs, and not another one like it. And I'm so glad she had that published, so it will be uniquely hers and belong to the IFNA. And so Betty developed this program called APAP, anesthesia program approval process that the CNR accepted in 2010 and it's a way at three levels to recognize all nurse anesthesia educational programs throughout the world that are non-physician so that was good and then in 2014 after I finished presidency I became chair again of separate practice committee so in 2014 because of the workload of education and practice the committee separated again And that sort of brings me up to the beginning and the number of years from 1989 until 2010 when we were working so very hard to solidify our base. Mm -hmm. And and so that was sort of my experience. So, Jackie, when did you become president of IFNA? And after we've just heard in great detail about the beginnings. Can you tell us some things that have changed, some differences that you see now? Sure. So actually, I took over as the U.S. country rep when Sandy retired and chaired the practice committee as a separate committee. And that was, Sandy, 2010? Yeah, it was 2010. 2010, we had a World Congress in The Hague in the Netherlands. So you have to serve for two years before you can run for an elected officer position. But I was elected to the six directors at large that we have that make up our executive committee along with the four officers. So for two years, I served as the executive committee member. Then I was elected to the first vice president. And then I became president. I'm in my third two-year term. So that would have been, what, 2014? to 16, 16 to 18. Yes. So I have to count 18 to 20. So I'm president through 2020. 
And IFNA has changed a great deal based on the leadership we had before us, which as you've heard has been very, very strong. We've been able to move forward and look outward. I think that's the biggest change is we have financial stability thanks to the dues restructuring. And the first early years you heard from Sandy really were we were building the federation and we had to have a firm foundation to build upon, but we were very inward focused. We needed to be, we were recruiting members. There was a lot of communication in various languages going on. That infrastructure had to be established. And most of all, we had to have some financial stability in order to even have meetings. And as you heard from Sandy, we had to learn how to work together and everybody to get along and kind of shift your focus to look globally now, I would say since I've been active as president, we have been able to reach outside the Federation, mainly, again, because we have financial stability that we can go to meetings, we can join groups, we're looking outward to collaboration, to gaining partnerships. Through that, we've been able to raise our recognition. We've been able to validate, I would say, trust and respect from other international organizations and really build upon our professional organization and the knowledge that people have of us. And we're working now, I think we're working alongside other groups in a more collaborative fashion so that we can help contribute to solutions of access to care. We know there's 5 billion people in the world out of 7 billion that don't have access to surgery. And anesthesia is a rate limiting factor, according to the World Health Organization and also the United Nations. So there's a a push from the UN to have 80% of the world have surgical access by 2020. And that's, that's staggering when you think about that we're so spoiled in the U.S. and we have access and wealth and insurance and we have equipment and we have knowledge and everyone's trained at a high level here and we can walk into an emergency room without any insurance and we can get care. And it's not that way. So we do know there's 313 million surgical procedures and 6%, only 6% are performed in lower middle income countries. That's pretty staggering. So we are trying to help meet these sustainable development goals that United Nations established in 2015 that I mentioned, which really requires surgery and safe anesthesia care is supposed to be available, accessible, safe, timely, and affordable. So we have forged relationships with many organizations. And I think the biggest, biggest change is that we're working alongside the World Federation Societies of Anesthesiologists. Ah, I serve. Yeah, so tell it's, us it's about a, that. It's kind of been amazing. So Sandy wrote a letter every year as president to their president, as did our other presidents, asking to meet with them, and it never happened. Then when Sandy retired, Jaap Hochman from the Netherlands became our president, and we were able to meet with the European Society of Anesthesiologists. So it kind of started there, I think, because we didn't have an American. Really, I do. Well, that would make sense. Yeah, they were very intimidated. Sandy was gone. (laughs) Well, they were intimidated because of our practice and the status that we have. So we, as IFNA, the European group, our counterpart, 
I assigned, uh, well, YAP started it and then I assigned people. So we have four people that meet with the European Society of Anesthesiologists twice a year. We have joint committees, one's on a patient safety and one's on education and training. And we've agreed to disagree on some things. But out of that, we grew closer to those that became officers at WFSA because some of the ESA officers moved up into WFSA. Then we joined an organization called the G4 Alliance, which is a global organization for surgery, obstetrics, trauma, and anesthesia care. It kind of spun out of the World Health Organization because the WHO is a very wieldy process to get through anything and they don't have a lot of money. So there was this kind of group that formed with people that were members of a surgical group at WHO. And our executive director, Pascal Rod, and I had started attending the WHO surgical group in 2015. This is where the financial stability has helped. So every other year we've attended meetings there. We go to World Health Organization in May every year, the G4 meetings, and I was elected the treasurer of the first permanent G4 Alliance Board of Directors. The secretary was Dr. Adrian Gelb was elected, and he is a Canadian anesthesiologist, but he teaches in the U.S., and he's the secretary of the WFSA. So he and I, two years ago, began working very closely together, and we got along fabulously. And every board meeting for the G4, which we had three or four of those a year, we would eat breakfast together. We would sit by each other at dinner. And we started making plans to get IFNA and WFSA together. We tried for two years and we could never get a meeting. Last year, the WFSA started a safety summit and it stands for Safe Anesthesia for Everyone Today. We really have been kind of in their ear at all the events we've been together, WHO, G4, and we've said, listen, we have to work together globally. There's a huge shortage. Nurses are doing the lion's share of the work, and we need to work together for the good of the patient. And they have agreed. So they had a safety summit a year ago, and we sent IFNA officers I couldn't go. I lectured at the diversity uh, meeting that weekend. This year, there was a safety summit, April 5th in London, and they invited me to be a speaker. So I spoke on how, this is a topic they gave me, how anesthesia bridges the safety gap. That was my topic. And I talked a lot about nursing and nurses, nurse anesthetists in particular, and in teamwork, and in focusing on the patient and not the politics. And I will say it was very well received, which was great. And the next day, we had our first ever meeting of the officers of IFNA and our executive director with the officers of the WFSA and their CEO at their headquarters in London. So that was just on April 6th. It went well, went better than expected. We had some little bumpy things, of course, but better than expected. And we have found some common ground and we've pledged to meet again, probably within the next four or five months and work on some things collaboratively. That is a huge step because WFSA is actually a consultant, approved consultant with the World Health Organization. Anything that goes on around the world with the ministers of health and the governments making policies, regulations, setting scope of practice, if it comes to anesthesia, 
they've always looked to the WFSA. WFSA has actually promised to help us have some input into WHO because we tried to be named a consultant and we were denied a few years ago. So if this all pans out, and I am hopeful that it will, but if it all pans out, it's going to be really good for all of the population of the world. And that's what matters. Hey, Jackie, how many member countries are there now in IFNA? We currently have 43 country members, 41 are full members, and then we have two, Turkey and Tunisia, that are associate members because they are anesthesia technicians. They are not nurses. So, all right, let's talk about some of the grants that you've got available from the IFNA Education and Research Foundation. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Jackie? We've been fortunate that we have had some recent Congresses that made money. Yay. Yay. So a portion portion of the profits from any World Congress, as well as any donations, although we really haven't gone after donations, but it goes into our foundation fund. That fund can be used for scholarships for things, for research, and really the last, I think, three grants we've given have been research-based We do have a student exchange faculty program that is eligible for some funding. So we've had a couple of applications and we've had to refine the applications a bit. So that's being finalized, but that could come out of the foundation. And we've had some interests. We have a recent applicant from Japan for grant for research there for nurse anesthetists. Now, you've also got a nonprofit that you set up. We've been running your ad after the podcast. So why don't you just give a shout out about that? Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, president of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and president and founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. Well, I was very fortunate to start a company called Our Hearts because it's our hearts that do the giving and your hands because it's their hands that give the care. And Sandy Ouellette is actually one of our board members and vice president. So we have a small organization that gives money to nurse anesthetists for equipment, purchases, send textbooks, or to send them to school or continuing education. And really, there was no other place for them to get this kind of money. And it's nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries. So we've sponsored, for example, a nurse anesthetist from Somaliland to a meeting. We have a nurse anesthetist in uh, Uganda that is in school right now on it's $3,000 for them to go to anesthesia school. Can you believe it? So we have a nurse anesthetist there that's in school. And I just had an email from someone yesterday that wants to give scholarship money to send an African nurse anesthetist to school. So So we're looking at that. You said something about textbooks. And I'm just wondering, because I know my friend Linda Williams has been cleaning out and she has a bunch of textbooks. I don't know. Do you take old textbooks? I do take old textbooks, but not ones that are more than... I mean, I'd like to have them within five years. Okay, we so uh, we just but need to tell still, Linda she needs yeah, to keep hers or have a big bonfire. <laughs> yeah, there's still some classics that are out there, but the better, 
the mo- more recent, sure. the better for them, of course, because they're coming up in the world too with the kind of education training that they're that they're getting now. Hey, Jackie, speaking of textbooks, you know, how are younger CRNAs able to get involved with IFNA? I think that might be of interest to folks that are listening. Well, first of all, you are a member already, as Sandy mentioned. The AANA pays three Swiss francs for every member, and the AANA is the member. It's a country membership. So you cannot join as an individual. And if you are not a member of the AANA, you are not a member of IFNA for any of those con- any of our countries. The best thing people can do to get involved is come to a meeting, come to a World Congress. Being a small organization with around $150,000, $160,000 a year budget, we really don't have a lot of committees and working groups. So we have our board, full board, which is all the country reps, the elected board, the education committee, practice committee, and Congress planning committee. You can only have one individual from any country on those committees at a time, especially from the U.S., because we wouldn't it wouldn't be a global organization. And that makes it difficult because a lot of people say, how can I get on a committee? The other thing I do, though, is people that are interested in lecturing at a World Congress, I take their CVs, their topics of their expertise, and I keep them in a file. I don't get to decide who lectures, but as we look at each Congress and we plan, the local organizing committee will plan the scientific program, the, the association, along with their organizing committee. And then they'll reach out to the IFNA country reps and say, we need speakers for these topics. And then typically, I will look and see who the ANA recommends as an expert. But I'll also go through the list that people of people who have contacted me to see who's interested in speaking and if any of those topics match up with their expertise. Also, Jackie, uh, at the World Congress, and one of the most popular sessions is free communication. And so people can submit abstracts and Mm -hmm. uh, speak for 20 minutes with questions and answers. And uh, I attended a lot of that in Budapest, and I do almost every time I attend a meeting. They're absolutely phenomenal. And this last year, we had a student Mm -hmm. from Wake Forest, Carolyn Kilman who spoke, she was a first-year student at the time, spoke Sharp in girl. Budapest, She's been on the podcast. and she was fabulous in terms mm-hmm. of her presentation and answering questions. So it's a lot of opportunity in free communication. And people loved those sessions. It's very up-to-date about what's going on. So they were, they were very popular. Hey, Jackie, where is the next World Congress Yes, at? Jackie, where is it? <laughs> Isn't that a good question? <laughs> so the next Congress is not till 2022. And I think we're already rethinking the CNR's vote because the CNR voted to go back to a four-year schedule. And it already seems so long from the momentum from Budapest. But we had bids from Athens, Greece, and Shebenik, Croatia. We did a site visit in November to Athens. And we just did a visit to Shebenik, Croatia, Oh, gosh, the end of April or mid-April. I'm sorry, this is the end of April. So after the London Safety Summit, all the officers and Congress Planning Committee went on to Croatia. We have a meeting of the executive committee, so the 10 elected positions, next month in Copenhagen. And we will take a vote then of where 2022 will be. However, we are also planning a regional Congress, not a world Congress, but a regional Congress in 2020. And it's set up to be in Nairobi, Kenya. Do we have dates for that yet? Well, I'll know that after May also, because they're down to 
bidding between two venues to have it. And so until we get that, I don't know the exact dates, but, but I believe be it's the- May or June. Okay. So how many Congresses have there been again? 13. 13. 13. So World Congresses. So the one either in Athens or Shebenik will be the 14th. But the Regional Congress is a new thing we're trying. We had so many African nurse anesthetists that got their visas denied, and it's really hard for them to travel expense-wise also. So we decided we needed to look at going out to them, and that should be part of our mission and vision also. So this year, this year we're planning for next year in Africa, but we've already talked about if we're going to stay on a four-year schedule, that the next regional Congress will most likely be in Asia somewhere. That's really good, Jackie, because I think the ICN has been doing that, and it's the only way that, as you said, people from these countries can ever get a taste of the world community. That's right, and they need it. They need the CE Mm -hmm. very much. They're very excited about it. So, Sandy, why don't you tell us about the blueprint that was used by the IFNA in the globalization of the nurse anesthesia specialty? Okay, very briefly, um, at our World Congress in, uh, in Vienna, in Austria, in 1997, I believe, our keynote speaker was uh, Dr. Marjorie Peace Lynn, and she was uh, had a big foundation in Washington, D.C. on uh, quality assurance and in international education. She basically gave us the five steps for the globalization of a profession, of which we already had accomplished quite a few of those. And she complimented IFNA as being one that looked at standards sooner rather than later in terms of education and practice and monitoring standards and so forth. So there were five steps, and one was to act as international witness for professional standards, and we did that from the very beginning to interact effectively with other international organizations, which we had done, but Jackie and her group has certainly um, put that on steroids, and that's a very, very good thing. And act as liaison with other globalizing profession, as we're doing more of now than we did. And then monitor our progress through publications and international forums. And as you can hear, we've had 13 World Congresses. The thing that was the hardest nut to crack was quality assurance in nurse anesthesia education internationally. And uh, that was accomplished in 2010 with the plan developed by Betty Horton and the Education Committee known as APAP. So we could check all boxes by 2010 that we are a global organization that meets all the standards for a globalizing profession. Sandy, what else do you see as some of the major achievements of IFNA over the last 30 years? Well, I think, number one, it is bringing nurse anesthesia to the forefront. We're not the best-kept secret in anesthesia anymore. When we met with the World Health Organization, at least I didn't, but Ron Kalk and our executive director now, Pascal Rod, did many years ago. He met with the chief nurse scientist, Miriam Hirschfeld, and they were talking about how we need to be developing nurse anesthetists, and her response was, why should we take our nurses and make technicians out of them? Oh, my. And Pascal and Ron said, because nurses are administering anesthesia all over the world. And she said, show me. And that then led to one of our major studies done by Dr. Mara McAuliffe in terms of 
who is administering anesthesia throughout the world, and she identified 107 countries that were utilizing nurses as the primary uh, providers of anesthesia. That has been followed up by Vera Musen, who's now in Australia. She's from the Netherlands, and she also has uh, done a number of studies on uh, anesthesia in the EU communities. So I think that is the big thing. It's not a kept secret anymore. Sandy, what do you think the value of IFNA membership to countries is? Well, I've thought about that many times because if you look at us having the most members, then the big financial contribution to IFNA is from the INA. Hmm. And I've said many times without the INA, there would be no IFNA because we pay 90% probably of the annual dues. So what is it that we receive from it? I think that every time a country does better, every time a country becomes recognized by their government, every time a country starts a CE program, that it elevates us all. And I don't know that we can see the benefits as much as other countries can, but it makes us all stronger. Well, we're leading the way. Yes, and it's the only way that we will have an international voice. Without a membership in IFNA, we will have no international voice. And when other countries are stronger, we all get stronger. Well, you talked about the ICN, and IFNA is a relatively new organization Mm -hmm. respective to ICN. When was ICN formed? a hundred years a hundred so. years yeah. ago and, and the and other so thing we is were in um, the IFNA has been a uh, an affiliate member we were one of uh, the first affiliate specialty organizations that had an affiliation membership in ICN so that was a real plus as well oh uh, yeah and so I think that uh, there's no question that we live in a global world and we must be a part of the global anesthesia community if people are going to understand what we do and respect us for what we do. Because nurses are administering anesthesia all over the world. They just aren't recognized right. in some cases. In a lot of the cases, I would surmise, and there are some that would, be, that would argue that it's happening in the United States today, That's wouldn't right. they? <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, just thinking back, this is my 50th year in anesthesia. And I look back over IFNA and ANA, and I tell people that I spent my first half of my career for the ANA and the second half for IFNA. Mm-hmm. And clearly, I love the ANA, but my heart rests with IFNA. Since 1989, it has been a blessing to nurse anesthetists throughout the world, and we can continue to be stronger and stronger because of it. Jackie's doing a wonderful job, as are the other country representatives, and I'm so very proud of all of them and look forward to attending the next World Congress in 2020. That's a long time at my age. They need to start. They need <laughs> to make it have a little, <laughs> a little sooner, bit shorter. Right, well, um, you know, I don't think that people out there understand that this truly is a labor of love to do this because it's an unpaid position jackie surely travels a lot but travels not all it's cut out to be sometimes and she doesn't make a salary or get any benefits relative to being the ifna president nor did you Mm -hmm. so it truly is a labor of love and we certainly appreciate the beginnings and we certainly appreciate jackie um continuing in that particular role for us. What, one more point, if I may. There will be a IFNA 30th anniversary history book 
that will be ready hopefully next year, but certainly it will be ready for purchase at the next World Congress. I have the honor of co-editing that book with uh, Dr. Betty Horton Mm -hmm. and Dr. Jackie Rawls. And we have a number of chapters, and I'm very happy. I heard from Betty today, and we've probably got 66% of the chapters written. So we're doing very well with that book. And uh, Betty and I will be going into the archives of ANA and be selecting pictures for the book before the Congress in August. And I think that's going to be a real nice addition. It'll be our 30-year history. We have a little coffee table book, but not a narrative and not this much information. It's what we will have in this book. Nice. So are you going to Nairobi? I don't think I'll be going to Nairobi. Too far away from my doctor at my age. (laughs) You never can be too careful, you know. So, Sandy, thank you for those comments. And Jackie, just as a couple of closing comments, would would you like to tell us about the value of the IFNA membership to countries now? You said things had changed just a little bit over the years. So have you got anything you'd like to share about that? Yes. I think the biggest value for IFNA has to do with networking and collaboration with other nurse anesthetists from around the country, or around the world, I'm sorry. We found that we're all facing the same things. For example, the United States years ago had nurses pushing propofol for, as we all know, in the endoscopy suite and other areas. And now other countries are facing that, and they've been using helpful information that we have. Further, it is a time to collaborate and to raise our voices with an increased number, which gives us more visibility. It gives us more people to talk. And the fact that you have input as a country into global standards, we have developed a model curriculum in a certificate, a bachelor's, and a master's level for a nurse anesthesia school that also can be taken and adapted for anesthesia technicians in terms of the certificate program or even a bachelor's that some countries have have been offering. And then the APAP that Sandy spoke about, the fact that we offer international accreditation. And we do have a couple of programs that have more technicians in it that are at level two they'll never be able to be level three full accreditation because you have to have all nurses in your program and what we're trying to do is move people through the accreditation levels from one to two to full accreditation so i think there's value in your voices being heard in representation on the global stage and in those networks and relationships that are being established where we can help one another with difficulties we've had from country to country Nice. Well, we appreciate your service to the IFNA, Jackie, and we can hardly wait to hear whether we're going to be in Athens or Croatia, (laughs) and you know my cell phone number, and you better let me know as soon as you do so we can start planning. I will. I will let you know. I've had a lot of people asking me, and I love it that there's so much excitement. Oh, my gosh. Well, after Budapest, I mean, it was just amazing. It's a pleasure to serve as the U.S. country rep, and I thank Sandy for being such a great mentor and for really establishing IFNA and making it grow to what it is today. So, Sandy, thank you so much, as well as everyone else who's before me and put all the work into IFNA. You're welcome, Jackie. You've done a phenomenal job. Well, I had great mentors. Thank you. (laughs) 
Hey, and Jackie, you know, Sharon and I can always podcast from wherever the Congress is going to be. I'm just throwing that out there. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. That would be know, awesome. A live amazing. podcast. Great invite, you know. So. I want to see you in Nairobi doing that. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. That would oh, well, be great. Wouldn't that be awesome to do a live podcast? It would be cool. We're doing one at our it state meeting yeah. coming up. So, all right, we well, need to plan that because aren't you guys making a lot of money off these podcasts? Oh, just oh, as the much same money. amount as you're making. Uh, yeah, same <laughs> amount you make as being IFNA president. <laughs> oh, wait, somebody on social media said I made the same thing as the AANA CEO. Yes, Ooh. and had benefits too. <laughs> but I'm waiting for that check. Ah, uh, you keep waiting, honey. That, that's why you believe everything on social media these days, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Okay, well, well thanks so much thank for you. All right. And you do know your ad runs at the end of every episode that we do also. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, I've had somebody and I I don't know them. So I think it came from you guys. I was actually going to ask her. I have someone that's giving monthly $10 a month, which I'm like, that's awesome. I don't care. That's wow. right. That's, that's cool. awesome. And know. I don't know the person. So I really think it must have come from your guys ads because I haven't run an ad or, you know, an ask lately. Well, we really appreciate this. It's wonderful to know everything about IFNA that uh, you brought to us today. And Sharon, I think that's a wrap. I think it is. We want to thank our listeners to listening Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our other episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time. It's a wrap. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and everywhere else that streams podcasts. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support.